0: Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast hosted by Renita Ray Davis, licensed clinical social worker, board approved social work clinical supervisor, and facilitator of the Goddesses of Social Work supervision community. Join us as we travel through the social work journeys told by the Goddesses of Social Work community members past and present as they make their way to our clinical licensure. Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. In today's episode, the brilliant Gabrielle Henderson, LMSW, has graced us with her presence. Gabrielle Henderson grew up in the rural town of Clayton, Alabama, where she experienced economic disparities and limited resources. In her childhood to teen years, Gabrielle was involved in many humanitarian endeavors, including soliciting donations from political figures to support community improvement. She was involved in the creation of a Boys and Girls Club, to strengthen the local parks and recreation department, and she advocated for safe playgrounds for the youth. Gabrielle has taken that same initiative and channeled it into her education and social work occupation. Gabrielle graduated cum laude from Troy University with both her bachelor's and master's degree in social work while running for Troy's track and field team and qualifying for the Women's 60 Meter Dash National USA Track and Field Indoor Championship in 2019. Gabrielle is employed by Kilby Correctional Facility where she provides counseling to those in crisis. Gabrielle is also a technical sergeant in the Alabama Air National Guard at the 187th Fighter Wing in Montgomery, Alabama, where she upholds the legacy and values of the Red Tails Tuskegee Airmen for the last 10 years as an emergency medical technician. Gabrielle's experiences have affirmed her passion to become a licensed clinical social worker, to educate others in the necessity of mental health services, to advocate for social change, and to promote social justice. Welcome to the show, Gabrielle.
1: Thank you for having
0: me. You're welcome. We're glad you're here. And thank you for your service, Gabrielle. Thank you. Gabrielle, the first word I think of when reading your bio is ambitious what was the motivating factor that pushed you to overcome the economic disparities you encountered and what did economic disparities look like for you growing up?
1: Well, what economic disparities looked like for me was literally having nothing, especially when it came to the school system. So you look at the books, the books are 10 to 15 years old. They're torn. Um, Science programs are not what they need to be. Education overall is not where it needed to be. Actually, we were one of the lowest counties as far as AYP advanced year placement, and we were at stake for being shut down. So there was nothing there for us academic wise. Um, Neither was there anything there for people as far as jobs. Clayton, Alabama was a place that people went to to retire and die, if you will. And that was a place that I did not want to be. And honestly, just like a lot of people that come from Clayton, Alabama, that was their driving force. I need to get out.
0: Love that answer. I do. I love that answer. Yes. And I guess that's leading us to my next question, which is why you're here. Tell me about your social work journey. How did you get here? Where do you want to go? What are your plans? Okay.
1: How did I get here? So, like a lot of people, my original career field was to be something that my parents were. So, my mother, she was a nurse. And I just decided that I was going to assume that role. I had aunts who were nurses. I had a cousin who was a nurse practitioner. And one day I went to college and I noticed that that was not going to be the career field for me, especially while I was trying to do track as well. It's not it's not possible. And for the person that actually is able to balance a sport with nursing, well, kudos to them and actually be good at it. You know, kudos them but that was something that i noticed that i could not do but i still wanted to assist people and i know that a lot of social workers oh you know i just always wanted to help to a certain extent that wasn't that wasn't my my goal i understand that social work social workers help people and they point people in the right directions as far as resources uh, but I know that sometimes they're not even going to accept those resources. So I'm not going to necessarily be hurt whenever they decide to make their own choices. I want to be able to influence people to the point where the choices that I give them are, you know, they're attractive enough to say, you know what, I I instead of going and doing the stuff that I normally do, I think I want to take one of your suggestions. Thank you. Um, so I chose that career. I switched from that career from nursing to the social work, and I obtained my bachelor's and my master's. And then after that, I had a couple of friends that were taking the licensure exam. And um, I did not pass that on the first try. I think I passed it actually on the third try. And then I even took a detour and became a teacher for one year, became a teacher for one year and noticed that um, maybe I should have become a a counselor in the school instead of a teacher. So I decided to leave that job after COVID. So after that, I worked as a mental health coordinator for about nine months until I found the job at Kilby Correctional Facility, where I currently counsel the male prison population when they are in crisis. And I've been there for about a year and a half now. Then I decided to make myself a little bit more marketable, and I joined the Goddesses of Social Work, where Miss Renita Davis is the clinical supervisor, and I've been enjoying her thus far. And now she thought that I would be a brilliant match to be on her podcast. So this is what brought me here today?
0: Awesome. You are a brilliant match for this podcast. You absolutely are. Gabrielle, I'm gonna ask a few questions. You did such a great job of of detailing your social work journey. And I had a few questions. The first is I know one, I I used to teach social work, and we often would get <laughs> some of the nursing students from the nursing program into the social work field. Plus I remember, you know, as a faculty member, both the social work and the nursing program were um, even sometimes in the same building or on the same floor. I'm curious though, like what was your journey of who introduced you to social work? Who said, hey, maybe have you thought about social work? Well, let's see,
1: I wanna say it was my athletic advisor. I went to him and I told him, I was like, sir, I don't think I'm going to be able to do it. (laughs) I don't think I'm going to be able to continue on with nursing and track. Like one of them has to drop. Um, He set some different jobs in front of me and was like, well, just, you know, choose these from here and, and see what you want to do. I picked out a, a couple like social work, psychology, Um, I wanted to say even like being a psychiatrist was something that was an option. And when I read the description, social work was something that just resonated with me. And I went with it and I'm really happy that I did. But I will say that in the process, when I brought that to my family, they were very surprised when I brought that to uh, my military family and telling them that I switched my profession because the only reason that I decided to be a medical technician in the military was because I was going to be a nurse. And so I got a lot of uh, negative comments, which caused me to be a little bit fearful and, and have me think that I made the wrong decision. But now I see that in society, mental health is really big and they not only need nurses, but they also need social workers. So I'm in the perfect place.
0: I absolutely, you, you actually answered part of my next question for you, which was you came from a family of nurses, and then you also are now speaking on your military family was expecting you to go into the medical profession, which social workers do. But what were all the nurses in your family thinking when you became a social worker? So,
1: something really funny. I was told that I might need a sugar daddy. (laughs) So the money was something that was a bit concerned for them. And at the time, it wasn't a concern for me. But of course, when it became a concern to my family, I started thinking, okay, what kind of monetary lifestyle do I want to live? Is social work going to support my lifestyle? And so that's why when I got my bachelor's, I know for a fact I needed to go get my master's. Uh, which I feel like you know anybody that's listening to this podcast can definitely relate. So if you are a you know a social worker who has their bachelor's, I would really encourage anyone to go and pursue their masters or you know their clinicals or even their independent, uh, which is one of my future endeavors. I plan to obtain my LCSW. That's why I'm you know going through supervision. So um, so that way, you know, you can have a more comfortable lifestyle if that's something that you want.
0: Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that. You know, I talk to people who are getting their BSWs or any undergraduate degree. You got to get your master's. Right. Right. And then the fact that you knew that immediately. And I am curious, you know, because I know we are in our supervision uh, community together. And one of the things that you guys hear me talk a lot about is you do not have to be broke and be a social worker. And so, what has been your financial experience been since becoming a social worker?
1: Well, I will say at the very beginning, that moment where you're at a job interview and then they slide that piece of paper over and you open it up to see how much they want to give you, it was a joke. It was a joke and I laughed and I didn't have any leverage. So I went with it. I went with it and I will say that let's just be candid. It was $30,000. And that was nothing that was really sustainable for for me. I could live with it, but I will say for maybe a parent, that's not going to cut it. But I got to the point where I'm like, if I advocate for people all day about their needs, then I'm going to have to advocate for myself. So after that, what, year and a half or almost two years of being at that last job, when I came over to Kilby, they recognized my license. They recognized my, well, they, yeah, they recognized my license. The fact that I had a master's and they paid me what I think you know matched my degree and uh, I'm going to continue to advocate as I continue to work this job and as I continue to do a good job you know performance reports and things of that nature hey am I doing good if you think I'm doing good then let's see what we can do as far as uh, a monetary payment I
0: absolutely love that (laughs) yeah yeah I love that. One, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot in supervision is exactly what you said. We advocate all the time for our clients, but we're so afraid to advocate for ourselves. Another thing we talk about is I call it pimping the profession. You know, we take some especially entry level social workers will take the the jobs that are not paying well. And unless we start advocating, other folks who are coming behind us are going to t- are going to just think that this is how it is. I also yeah. we you know we often talk about changing the narrative. I say I've said it on this podcast before. I say it all the time to you guys. You do not have to be broke and be a social worker. That license is what those agencies need. They need your license in order to have the reimbursements that they're getting from the federal. Insurance agencies like Medicaid, Medicare, and some of these other ones, they have to have a social worker with a license. And so if they're being reimbursed $150, $200 a client, and you're being reimbursed $18, (laughs) we have to speak up, right? (laughs) And so we pimp the profession when we don't advocate for ourselves and say, hey, I need to we need to match what it is I'm bringing to the table with what you would you need in order for your agency to continue to go so I love who taught you that Gabrielle because I talk to a lot of social workers and I mean it takes sometimes a year two years for me to get them to the place where advocate for yourself and know the value of your license. And here you are, you just graduated a couple of years ago. You've only had a couple of jobs, but right your second, third job, you're already doing it. And knowing that that is something you're going to have to continue to do. Where did that come from for you? I don't know.
1: I don't know who taught me that, but whoever did, like shout out to them. Um, I'm just going to say that my support system is, is something that really... Whether I take those ideas of what they tell me and then I subliminally just say, oh, yeah, I came up with that random thought all by myself. But I will say that my support systems definitely encourage me to do a lot of things that I wouldn't have done or I never thought that I could do. So
0: support systems are huge. I agree. I was, you know, thinking about networking the other day and you mentioned you came from a small town. Troy, if you were on the main campus, I I'm not I don't want to assume you are, but if you got your bachelor's and your master's, I'm assuming you were. That's a very rural town, even though it's the <laughs> you know the university is huge, but the town is rural. So when you have been in these rural spaces, how have you networked in order to get open the doors that have been opened for you?
1: Some some things fall into your lap, but other things I mean you 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 have to get out there and you have to talk. You have to talk to uh, whether that's the the dean of the campus or uh, maybe a, a political figure that's in the town or what was what was it? Chancellor Hawkins, things of that nature. All the way from Maybe like a a chairperson or or a head person with a Greek fraternity or a sorority. You know, you just have to, as my father would say, you just have to open your mouth because closed mouths don't get fed. If If you ask and they tell you no, okay, well, that's okay. But if you don't ask, then you really don't get an answer because you could have asked and they said yeah. So I learned how to be the master asker, if
0: you will. (laughs) <laughs> That's the phrase that
1: my dad uses. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that. I, you know what? I thought my mother was the only person whoever said closed mouths don't get fed she has taught me that since I was in my 20s and to hear you have been taught that as well that's absolutely correct so we're gonna make sure we put that in the tagline closed mouths don't get fed you have to ask <laughs> and I love that you are the master master asker I love master, but he has perfected it for you and it shows so I'm so glad so like okay so we know where you were we see, you know, you had to come up, overcome even some family peer pressure, both in your military family and in your, you know, your your nuclear family. But are you glad, you know, that you chose the this, this social work profession? I'm curious, are you glad?
1: Yes, I, I'm glad. Uh, a lot of the thought processes that other people had about the profession and, and how I would end up, it is not like that at all. Uh, I remember moments like, honestly, like crying in the bathroom and calling, my mom, they don't think I'm going to do this because they switched my career. And uh, And then I look at it now and I'm like, I am just fine. I have bought a house. I'm not even six months into the house. I bought a house. I'm I'm paying it just fine. I am fine. So you can be a social worker and be fine. So even for those people who are newly in their major or they just switched their major, you don't have to be broke. You don't have to be.
0: We are changing the narrative. One social worker. This is is the whole reason we're doing this podcast is because we are changing the narrative of social. I love that you said that and that our audience is going to get to hear you do not have to be broken to be a social worker. You could be. Are you? Is this your third year as a social worker? I'm assuming. Yes. I think You're third, fourth year. Going into the fourth year and buying. Mm-hmm. A house. Congratulations, thank you, Gabrielle. Congratulations. I think, you know, I see on social media. I don't want to go down this this road too far, but often on social media, I I do I see the perceptions that people hold about social work. And unless we have these conversations that that's not not reality. (laughs) I know that's the reality for a lot of people, but it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be your reality. You can be a master asker. You can remember that closed mouths don't get fed. And you can know that there are jobs out there that are paying social workers. LMSWs, really, really well. One right. of the things in our supervision community, if you coming in at thirty thirty two, 32, if by the time you leave, you're making 70, 72, because uh-huh. we are networking with each other. We are letting you know where these jobs are at and, you, and right. letting you know it's possible. We had one of our social workers recently in our group chat put that she is, she makes Six figures this year. Oh yes, mm hmm. Good she job. Six She's an okay. Yes. So imagine what's going, what her role is going to look like at the LCSW level. So we see where you, where you were, where where you are now. Where do you want to go on your social work journey, Gabrielle?
1: Well, I, like I was saying earlier, I would definitely love to finish supervision and take that exam and pass it we're going to shoot a little high on the first track. um but of course if that does not happen then you know i got multiple times to take it as long as uh i have the money to pay for it uh after that i actually plan on looking into going into private practice up after a couple of years uh if not then the va has always been something that i have looked towards uh being a part of considering that I will eventually be a veteran myself. It is always good to have a well-rounded view of the entire process. Um, And also, you know, you have got me started on this podcast. And a little secret of mine is that I always wanted to do a TED Talk. So hopefully, eventually, I will be doing this more often.
0: You do it well, darling. You do it well. I love it. I, you know, we, I have some other questions, but I do, I want to veer off just a little bit because one of the things that is a hot topic this year, Uh the last couple of years, is the ASWB put out their numbers, their pass rate numbers for folks who are passing and not, or, and I should say, not passing the exam. And you mentioned earlier, you didn't pass the exam on the first try, but your vision, your goal is going to be to pass the clinical exam on the first time, about on the first try. Ooh, talk to me, darling, about just that whole process of not passing, what it took for you to keep on going to, you know, you said it was the third try. Is that correct? Yes. Do you mind try. sharing your that part of your social work journey? I think that's important. And I'm going to speak to why it's important in the, I I don't want to speak on the numbers, but specifically in Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, we know that the pass rate for African-American women, women of color, not necessarily just African-American women, but women of color is not even 40%, not even 40%, right? And so for you to have taken that test three times, to be in supervision, to be working and speaking into existence, that you will pass that clinical exam on the first try. What was that journey of having to take the LMSW exam three times for you?
1: So like I was saying, I had a lot of support. and Sometimes with all of that support, you have different ways that people want to help you. So I got a lot of different test taking material. Uh I, I'm not able to say the person's name correctly, but like the, the Gillespie, something, Jean Gillespie, Gillespie Dr. or something G,
0: like that Dr. G. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, yes. Uh I received that book. And then I want to say my parents ended up buying me just a just a regular like it was in green, just a LMSW book. So the first time that I took the test, it was I was studying from both of those books. And because I had that huge support system, of course, I had my mother waiting in the hallway with the family on the phone, <laughs> waiting for the results. And I mean, it's great when you have your city behind you, but just to deliver the information that you failed, it, it hurts more than um, if you were doing this thing by yourself. So um I failed and now everybody's like the crowd is like, oh okay, so we wait again and then I go and I take it for a a a second try. So mind you, when I was pursuing my MSW, just the degree, and we would practice, we would take the practice test, I would have to go in the office by myself if there was any the slightest noise. And I got anxiety. and Now, now I don't even think I'm going to uh, take the test and the, the, the time limit that I need. So anxiety was something that was really big for me. So then I started to do different things. I was like, OK, I'm going to study one book. And this time I'm going to go over the things that I don't know at all. Just just freshen up on some of the things that I do not know at all. So if it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I'm gonna brush up on that. But all the other stuff that I think I know, I know it. And I'm gonna bring some earplugs. Well, it just so happens that the testing site that we went to, the testing site was right by train, train tracks. It was right by train station. And and those those earplugs did not help. And I want to say I failed by maybe five points. Okay. So that's even more discouraging plus more money. And I wasn't even at that point where I was making a lot of money. So, you know, I got fed up with myself. And that's okay. Because that's where where I, you know, that's where my fuel comes from. Sometimes when I get fed up, I'm like, oh, okay. I need to sit down and figure out what I need to do. So this third time i read the book from cover to cover in its entirety i came up with different acronyms to you know remember certain things and then i even took the practice test that came with the book everything i did all that and once i did that i took the test and i passed
0: curious about congratulations we're so glad you passed (laughs) what but you know so many people give up you know after the first try after the second try but I did not hear not one time where it felt like you were going to give up so I guess I'm curious like why didn't you give up and what made you realize the importance of the LMSW credential My support system is something that encourages me
1: not to give up. I keep harping on the support system, but it's huge. So if you don't have a support system, please find you one. Um, so that support system was huge. I knew that I could do it. I knew that I could do it. So I was like, I guess if I need more than one try, okay. I just hope that my pockets can bear this. But that was another thing, Money. And so I, you know, I I don't know why the statistics are the way that they are, but we're not dumb. I don't know if it has something to do with test taking anxiety. For me personally, that's what it was. But when you when you have the knowledge, eventually you'll be able to apply it on that test. And then after that, the test is over. And you can be that that bad social worker. That you always knew that
0: you could be. So absolutely. Absolutely. You know, black women are the most educated women in this nation. So we are not in any way, shape, or form dumb. I do think you're absolutely right. It has a lot to do with test taking anxiety. And so we're teaching our clients how to manage the symptoms of anxiety. We need to to practice those things as well in this particular and i think though the the biggest thing you said that i loved was you knew you could do it and i think after the first or second try sometimes i think folks forget that they could do it and so the fact that mm-hmm. you knew that you could do it and you stood on that is what i want to just kind of shout out to our audience you can do this you mm-hmm. absolutely can do this and whatever it takes Including, as Gabrielle says, getting you a support system. I had a support system for my LC. I, I, I did pass LM on the first try, but the LC it took me two times. And the second time I took it, my family and friends pitched in twenty five, fifty dollars a pop. You know, so I because I was a single mama so that I could take the test again, right? And then the <laughs> other thing i want is like, I love that you said your your mama was in the hallway, uh, all the family folks, the whole plate whole in Alabama was on the line <laughs> waiting to hear, hear your results. I encourage people, don't tell anyone when you're taking that test, let it just be you and that exam.
1: Stressful. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, that makes, it puts extra pressure, unnecessary pressure on yourself when you tell people about it. So taking it, you know, just on your, on your own and finding, I think too, scouting out, that was a great point, scouting out your testing location, right? Like going and seeing what are, you know, if you already know that you're easily distracted as I am, that would have definitely distracted me. That's, Mm -hmm. that may not be your testing site. And we know that we can take this test, you don't have to even just take it in the state you are getting licensed in as a national right. exam. And if you need to go to another state, because they just have better facility, then we want to encourage people to do that as well. So but the main thing, the main takeaway that I got is, you knew you could do it. And so that's why you didn't give up. And so I appreciate the fact that you didn't give up. And thank you for sharing that part of your journey. I'm gonna move on to our next question, which I'm just enjoying chatting with you, but I'm gonna move on. Who was your favorite or most impactful social work instructor or mentor?
1: So I've been going on this journey for about three, going on four years. So the journey hasn't been long at all. I would say, Renita, you are, you're the one. You're the one. <laughs> um, I haven't had anybody motivate me the way that you have social work wise. I haven't. So. I just want to say thank you. Um, I want to say in between our emails that we exchanged, you know, I was like, oh, thank you for speaking things in, in present tense or or future tense. And um, uh, I'm I'm gonna, you're gonna be my honorary mentor. Like
0: you're my mentor. I love that. I promise the audience I do not fish. <laughs> I am not fishing for this. I really wanted to. But I, you know, one of the things that uh, I, I realized three years ago that I was a G in this profession. I'm like, oh, I'm not a <laughs> not a social work baby anymore. I'm actually people's mentors, and and I got to, you know, had the honor of being, you know, several folks' professors. And one of my favorite social worker, who is now LICSW, she called me the Mama Social Worker, the Mother of Social Worker, and because y'all are my babies, y'all are my social work babies, and when I especially get a brown sugar coming into the profession, I push you. I push you because we need folks who look like us doing this work and doing it well and getting paid well to do it. But also mm-hmm. I just, I, you know, I am in love with this profession and I want folks to be in love with it like I am because there's longevity. One of the things we know To be true, is that the burnout rate is five years post masters. There's no reason for any of us to burn out. We can do this. We we have been called to do this work. I believe we can do it well, and we can get paid well to do it. And if I encourage you guys to do that, I just am passing the baton. And so I appreciate. It was not my intention to get that, but I appreciate it, and it is my vision to pass the baton to the next generation of social workers who are in love with this profession as much as I am who do it well and who get paid well a lot sooner than I learned that we can get paid well. So yay, Gabrielle, I'm going to ask you a couple more questions. Okay. Knowing what you know now about the profession, what are three things, maybe three, you know, it could be three, maybe one or two things that you would pack in your little social work suitcase to take with you along the way.
1: That one or two, right? Mm -hmm. I think something simple would just be to stand up for yourself. Mm -hmm. Set boundaries. Because we all know that when it comes to social work, whether it's you're working on call or, you know, I don't know, just having a lot of clients, having a, a, a huge caseload, you got to be able to set those boundaries. So that way you're not one of those statistics of being burnt out within five years. And then. My last one would be not being afraid of your own success. Mm-hmm. that That's something that's um huge. And when with social work, as you continue to climb up that ladder, as far as education goes, you have to take a lot of tests, tests, after test. If you want another, if you want another what, uh, letter in your LCSW, you know, if you want to put
0: an I in there, is there a test? There's no, a test. <laughs> there no. okay. A test. <laughs> There's not a and test. And actually in Alabama, Alabama's one of the few states who has the I. But there is not a test. And Alabama changed the law. Just going to throw this out for Alabama social workers. Alabama changed the law a couple last year, 2022, June 2022. And so um, there is no test and there's no further supervision after this. So, yeah, they I (laughs) one of my favorite boards, I'm licensed in six states. And one of my favorite boards, not because I've been licensed in Alabama the longest, but Alabama has just, I can't say they've always done this, but their board has made it so much easier to be at the top of your game in this profession. And really, it's just some recent changes that have happened, but they've just made it so much easier to be at the top of your game. And so if you're not taking advantage of um some of the rule changes and law changes I really want to encourage people to do so but there is no further test after the clinical
1: well awesome but as you you know get up to that point there's multiple tests that you have to take um but at this point now I remember when I graduated in 2013 and I know that I'm deviating but um, there was somebody that had graduated top of the class, and, and they made the comment that there's no excuse at this point. There There are a lot of loopholes. There are a lot of rules that have been changed. There are a lot of people that advocate for that change. And so, like you said, you can really be top of your game. And then even whatever the area that you're in, whether it's the bachelor's or the master's or the... The LCSW, LICSW, you can take that and you can and you can tailor that and make it into whatever. Like right now, my thought process is kind of blocked as to what you can cultivate your degree into. But you can do it. You can do it. And it's just the the possibilities can be endless Mm -hmm. if you allow yourself to have that imagination. And so you can't be afraid of that success.
0: It, it, and if
1: you are, then sometimes you just have to do it afraid. So that is one of the books that I'm reading, because sometimes I do a lot of things afraid. I really do. So sometimes we just have to do it.
0: Awesome. I love that so much. You know, you and I, before we, we hit record, we were talking about vision. I love vision boards. You showed me some of your vision boards. And I am curious, you know, because you're like doing it afraid, what would you tell your future social work self sitting in what you know now, what you would take with you, what you would leave behind, all the obstacles that you've overcome? What is something, you know, I've been doing this for 24 years, 20, 20 years from now, Gabrielle, what would you be telling your future social work self? The
1: same thing. I can't be afraid of my own success. I have a favorite Bible verse, which is Mm -hmm. Jeremiah 29 and 11. And it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and to not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And whenever I get confused about my future, I just refer to this, this verse. And it carries me all the way through until I finally see and I look back and I say, oh my God. Oh my Which I know I really didn't do all of it. Like I have all that support and all that, all that Jesus back there. So I mean, like that, that's what I tell myself. I might be afraid. I might not know what's going on, but somebody does.
0: And mm-hmm.
1: they're thinking about me. And it's and it's always gonna be good. So always.
0: Always, always. just like this was. This was such a great interview. I am so glad that you said yes. This is a year, Thank yes. You. We're saying yes. I'm so glad you okay. said yes. And any final, you know, I love that you were speaking to our audience. And, you know, you just really encourage so many folks out there that are not going to give up on taking the test, who are gonna, you know, do it afraid, all of those things. But are, you know, as we close this out, are there any final words you want to leave our our audience with?
1: I think we've said a lot of good things. And so if they can just rewind this back and they can listen to us talk about doing it afraid and setting boundaries and listening to how, you know, where I grew up and how that may be similar to, you know, whoever else's story out there. It is possible. You can do it. You really can. You just have to have that grit and that tenacity in order to make it through those hard spots because the the journey is not always hard all the way through because it does get easier.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. We are glad you were here. If you liked this episode, please come back to hear more stories of the journeys through social work. And please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. See you next time here on the Goddesses of Social Work podcast.